Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. Books. You probably read them. Maybe you've written them before. I personally have written three books, Let Go, Will It Fly, and more recently, Superfans. And my gosh, it is a chore, but also one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. Big thank you to all of you who have read and or listened to any of my books. We're talking more about books today, specifically about the business and the process and how a book integrates into this amazing, potentially passive income opportunity, whether it's a fiction book or a nonfiction book. And today we're gonna be speaking with a tremendously successful self-published author, previously traditionally published. He's gonna tell a story about how he started there, failed, and then started his own thing, publishing on his own, and the secrets and the formulas for making that happen. You can actually find him at selfpublishingformula.com, but don't go there yet, because I want you to be convinced that this person knows exactly what he's talking about, and more than that, you can find his very, very successful fiction series, actually he has multiple series of books, and I actually get quite selfish here in this particular podcast episode because one day I would love to publish a fiction book, and he's given me, uh, and all of you out there who are interested in, uh, in that as well, some tips, and then marketing tips no matter what kind of book you have. I'm speaking with today none other than markjdawson.com, and you'll hear all about his books his origin story, his failures, his successes, and tips that we can all use no matter what stage we're at today, Mark J. Dawson. But first, the intro. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host. Ask him about his food truck idea the next time you see him, Pat Flynn. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to session 413 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people, too. And writing books is definitely one of those things that uh, can help you make more money, can help you get your message, your words, both on text, paperback, hardcover, or even on audio, like Audible, uh, in front of more people. But 
it's a lot of work. And there's some secrets that a lot of well-known, very, very influential people like today's guest, Mark J. Dawson, uh, who are just so generous in sharing their information. And this, I came out of this interview with just such energy and such excitement for diving into my next book, which I've just started to put on paper. I haven't yet quite finished the outline, but it, it's coming. It's coming. I'm, I'm, I'm just very thankful that I had this conversation before publishing it because it's definitely going to save me a lot of time and help me make more money. And I'm hopeful that this will do the same for you. Like I said, and like I shared earlier, today we're speaking with Mark J. Dawson. You can check him out, markjdawson.com to see his works there. And we have some other stuff for you later on that uh, we'll point you toward. But for right now, let's just dive into the interview. Here he is, Mark J. Dawson. Mr. Mark Dawson, thank you so much for coming on the Smart Passive Income podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Pat. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a long, long time listener. I've learned an awful lot from you over the years. So it's a, it's a real pleasure to come on and maybe give a little bit back. Oh, you're going to give a whole lot back because, Mark, you've just become this amazing powerhouse in the world of, uh, of what you do, which is writing books. And you've taught several many people how to write books. But I just want to talk about your books a little bit. You're known for a number of series. Tell us a little bit about the books that you currently have and um, just like t t tell us about your work. All right. So originally I was um, traditionally published um, all the way back in 99, 2000. Um, I had a deal with a, a big publisher in London, one of the big ones. Um, I think I earned, they gave me an advance of about 50,000 pounds, which was not a huge amount in those days, but it would be quite a lot today. And I thought I was a lawyer at the time. So um, not a particularly good lawyer and certainly not a happy one. And, and I, I thought this was the way I was going to get out. I was going to, this was the career I always wanted to do. Um, and this was how I was going to do it. And this was going to be the start. Um, and it didn't really turn out that way. Uh, the, the books, they're not the best books in the world for a start. That's, that's being generous. They're pretty bad books. Um, and so that didn't help. But then the publisher didn't do that much in terms of um, promotion that I could see, you know, marketing. Um, I remember going into a bookstore in my lunch break, went down to the bookstore and had a look and expecting to find them in prime position. But instead of eye level on the shelves, which is where I wanted them to be you know, kind of um, face out, they were all the way down at the bottom, spine out, very difficult to see. Um, you, browsers wouldn't notice them. So anyway, I, you know, I kind of rearranged the shelves to put them back into the order <laughs> that I thought that they, they should be in. Um, I've done that. I've and, done that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's done that. But then, of course, I went back the next day and um, the staff had done their jobs and, and correctly returned them to the, the basement level again. So I stopped writing after that. I had a couple published. None of them were particularly good, as, as I said, and they didn't sell very much. I didn't earn the advance back. So that's that's kind of a black mark on my name when it comes to getting a third deal. Um, mm. So I kind of gave up. I changed jobs, did something I enjoyed a bit more in the film industry. And then a friend of mine, around about 2010, I think it would have been, had a Kindle. And I was kind of very, very slow to adopt the Kindle. I never thought I'd want to read on a device. Um, and he told me that he had published something himself. And he was getting he was getting contact from readers, which is something that I never got. And also he was getting money from Amazon. Um, and you know, I don't know about you, Pat, but the way that my relationship with Mr. Bezos works is normally, or at least up until that point, money went from my account into his. Um, yes. <laughs> and my friend was telling me he was getting checks from Amazon. So I kind of started digging into what was possible um, and uh, started to write. And uh, first of all, published a, a kind of a noirish thriller 
called the Black Mile. Um, and then since then, I've branched out into, um, I kind of write espionage thrillers now, books that are, I suppose, quite like um, Lee Child and Jack Reach, that, that kind of thing, James Patterson. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple of, two or three series, um, some, um, some spin-offs, and it's, I've been a full-time writer for over five years now, and, um, and you know, I don't mind sharing numbers too much. I, I cleared 1.5 million last year in terms of, of book sales, which was, if you'd said to me that was possible when I was you know, trying to rearrange those bookshelves all those years ago, I would have said you were nuts. Um, but you know, it is possible, and it's a pretty cool, cool way to make a living. $1.5 million last year alone from yeah. self-published books. Yes, um, that, that's just that's just income on KDP. So that's the that's the platform that Amazon has to enable you to to publish. But it doesn't take into account um, audio books and um, deals I have with Thomas and Mercer is, is an Amazon imprint, so that more more like a traditional imprint. So they publish mm-hmm. some of my stuff as well. So all in, it's 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 probably nearer to, but it's it's yeah, it's it's a pretty significant. Um, uh, income, not not all profit, of course. There's costs in there, but of still, it's um, it's it's you know, that's it's incredible, pretty, Mark. Congratulations on that, and and thank you for briefing us on on the story. And now you teach several other people how to write self published books, and you have very unique strategies and, and and sort of a formula, if you will, for for doing that. Can you give us a little insight on sort of your approach to if for any writers that are listening or anybody who's thinking about writing? You know, how might we better think about the approach to position ourselves for success when writing books? Because a lot of people have written books and they just gone nowhere. Well, I mean, the way I look at it is uh, we have a website with another business called self published Formula, which is probably the worst name I could possibly come up with because it, it seems it sounds a little bit snake oily that there's a formula to follow, which isn't the, it's not the case. Um, it's kind of more of a mindset thing, really. So we the way I look at it when I'm publishing things is that I have I'm creating assets. Um, intellectual property assets. Uh, in the first instance, it's a story which is expressed uh, by way of a, a book. So that's one way that you can um, take advantage or you know, monetize that asset. But there are other ways that you can split off and, and make money too, from audiobooks to film and TV to print, um, licensing, translation, foreign rights. All, all of these kinds of things can all um, make money for you, passive income. Um, and the way I try to look at it is. It, I approach it as professionally as I can. Um, so I will um, put out the, the best product that I possibly can. So that means that I have a editorial process that my books um, go through, uh, which is at least as good as, I, as the experience I had when I was traditionally published. Mm-hmm. I have a pro uh, cover designer. So, I mean, I can't, I'm terrible with, with, you know, Photoshop. I just would not know what to do. So although I could, I could do a cover, it's, it wouldn't be a very wise thing for me to do. So I, I hire a a designer who used to do covers for Tolkien and um, uh, John Le Carre and Stephen King, people like that, and and he, as uh, Gregor Stuart Beish, he does all my covers and has done for about five years now. So when you look on the store, when you go to Amazon and you're browsing for a new thriller to read, my intention is that you would not be able to tell um, from either looking at the cover or the blurb or opening uh, the look inside to look at the first few pages. You wouldn't be able to tell that there's anything um, different in the way that that book was published between the way I've done it and the way uh, Lee Charles Publisher has done it. And that, that's something that not all indies um, get their heads around, but I think it's quite important to keep that in mind. That makes sense. And and so it's, it's really a mental approach that you're taking that uh, sort of establishes the, the groundwork for something that becomes much bigger than just the book itself. And I think a lot of us don't think of it in that way. 
For those of us who are now interested in also the fiction side of things, I know there's a lot of nonfiction authors who are listening, but I'm, I'm curious just for the, not, for, the, for the fiction authors out there and those interested in that, including myself, what makes a story that sells how, how – because there's so many books that get published, stories that I'm sure the authors thought they were great, but they go nowhere. Mm. Why? I think um, I've got a bit of experience with this. So when I was published, originally published, I decided my third book was going to be one that I would write with one eye very um, closely on what I thought the market wanted. So I, I, my editor at the time had just published this Australian thriller writer um, who writes kind of action and adventure, men's adventure, I suppose you'd call it, kind of Indiana Jones style books. And I thought that's easy. I bet I, bet I could do that really, really, really easily and I'll make lots of money, um, which was it was a really arrogant thing for me to say and and also just completely um unrealistic because it actually this this author wrote very fast pacey addictive thrillers that's why he was successful and there's a real skill to do that um and and i i didn't read those books and i wasn't therefore very good at writing them so the thing i've learned um since then is that what you want to try and do is you need to write something that you want to read a genre that you like and that you have some experience in and then that's the first thing. The second thing is you need to find something that you think will sell. And if you think of a Venn diagram, so you've got two circles. On the, on the one hand, you've got what you like. On the other hand, you've got what you think the audience will like. And where those two circles intersect, um, that's what you should be aiming for. So for me, I mean, I, I love um, I love Lee Child. I love David Baldacci. I love those kinds of um, you know, addictive, pacey, compelling thrillers. And it was very obvious to me when I did a little bit of research, actually almost no research, it was that obvious, that, that there was a very hungry market for those kinds of books. So that was a real sweet sweet spot for me. Um, but the, it doesn't have to be that kind of big genre. I've taught um, authors, um, one in particular comes to mind, who um, – She's a, I think she's got some kind of academic qualification in Scandinavian history, and she likes writing romances. So her niche is um, Scandinavian historical romances set in the 1700s. And she found that was that was the, the one circle. The other circle was she found an, an audience that was very hungry for those books because they just weren't getting served with any at mm -hmm. all. And she took um, one of our courses on, on using um, advertising to boost sales. And I think she went from something like $800 a month to she cleared $35,000. Um, and this was a while ago, and she's she's a solid six figure a month author now. So it's by approaching those those kinds of, you know, marrying the art with the business side of things, and then finding, you know, making a decision based on that, that's where you can you can find the success. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think what you've just shared with me about one of your students is a big problem that a lot of people are having is, well, maybe they have a great story or have a great book that just isn't getting found. And it sounds like to me, uh, you, you do teach how to use Facebook ads. Are, is, is that the answer to getting found or are there other ways that uh, we authors can have more eyeballs on our books? Yeah, there are loads of ways now. I mean, the, the, the things have changed in Kindle over the last 10 years or so. So when I started, it was almost possible to upload a book um, and maybe make it free for a weekend, juice it with some um, some promotions, some sites that would send out um, uh, emails to readers who were looking for those kinds of books. You could do quite well with that and make decent money. There was much less competition. If you were even a little bit professional, your books would immediately stand out from the crowd. And Amazon was was more there's more organic algorithmic marketing at least that that's what that's what it appeared that, that was happening when it came came to amazon if you scroll forwards now to 2020 
there are something like 8 million books on the Kindle store in the US at the moment. So when you up, you upload your book, um, you're immediately throwing it out there into this sea of competing content. And it's very, very difficult for um, readers to find that book. So it's not really a luxury anymore to advertise. It, it used to be about four or five years ago, you didn't have to advertise, but it was it was still a good thing to do. It's getting to the point now that uh, in order to be successful, and of course there's, there's different definitions of success, there's um, you know, commercial success, there's creative success, all, all, all kinds of things. But if you want to make enough money to take this seriously as a career, it is almost obligatory now that you need to advertise. And you know, it could be Facebook ads, That's that's they're still very powerful. Um, Amazon is making a concerted push into the advertising space um, mm-hmm. and adver- Amazon ads for books are really, really powerful right now. Um, and there are other companies as well called BookBub that you might have heard of that's very powerful with the ads that it allows um, um, authors to place to find new readers. But it, it is getting to the point now that um, you, you do need, unless, unless you've got a big audience, um, you do need to um, be prepared to um, advertise in order to find those readers. And how much are we talking here? Like, are, are, Do we need a bankroll of like $5,000 <laughs> to be seen or what, what are we talking about? Again, it depends on, as I say, I did about 1.6 on the Kindle store last year. I was in Seattle to meet um, various Amazonians um, towards back end last year. And one of the meetings I had was with um, uh, my rep from a company called uh, Amazon Media Group. So it's uh, kind of like an agency, an in-house agency that places ads on on Amazon. And I, you know, I'd known I'd known I've been spending quite a lot of money with with those guys, but we sat down for the kind of yearly review, and they um, they said, well, first of all, the first slide, you've spent half a million dollars with us this year, and I almost fell off my chair because it was like when you, when it's kind of expressed that way, it was like that's quite a lot of money. Um, so that that's fairly extreme. So not not everyone will be able to spend that, nor should they. Um, when I started out five years ago advertising, I started out with a $5 Facebook ad. Um, I, I took that $5, maybe for the first week or two, I, I lost money because I didn't really know what I was doing. But I invested that $5 um, and eventually figured it out. Um, and then maybe I made $6. And then the next day I spent six, put it all back in again. Maybe the next day I made 10. And and by within two or three months, I was spending between $100 and $200 a month. But that, that was all, you know, I, I wasn't rich at that stage. I wasn't able to, I didn't have a big bankroll. That was just with um, building up slowly, scaling as slowly and as carefully as I could, and then reinvesting the money that I'd made to buy more ads and then doing the same same thing again. Okay, well, that's great. Then you could start small and, and scale up. What were the ads pointing to? Because I know, for example, a lot of people who are in my podcasting course go, Pat, I want to use ads to promote people to my podcast, but that just doesn't work. And um, I'm curious, does that work with books? Like here, go buy the book, or is there some special mechanism or or or, or, or campaign or, or way to go about getting people on Facebook who are there not to go buy books to go buy a book? Yeah, that's the that is the trick. So with the, the the two main ad platforms are Amazon and Facebook. So for Facebook, people are not necessarily looking to buy something when they're on Facebook. They're probably scrolling idly through their newsfeed, looking <laughs> for updates on what their friends are doing. You know, pictures of their you know what their friends were eating, all, all the kind of stuff that we we love about Facebook. They're not really looking to buy a book. So your trick or the the feat that you have to pull off is to get them out of that mindset and into the state of mind that, that they're thinking. Actually, I'm, I'm not so interested in what I was doing. I'm going to go and click this link. I'm going to go to Amazon. And I'm going to buy this book. And it is, it's tricky, um, but it, it's not impossible. And there are some, I mean, 
possibly beyond what we've got time for to talk about this evening, but you can do things like running engagement campaigns to, to build up an engagement audience on Facebook so that you know the people who have um, engaged with a certain type of ad um, at the top of the funnel. Um, I hate to use marketing terms, but I'm sure your audience will know what I'm talking about there. You, you get them to, it's a cold audience, you get them to engage with the ad. Then Facebook allows you to serve them with a retargeting ad. So something slightly different in terms of the copy and the image. But at that point, you know that they have, at the very least, they're interested in in the kind of books that you're writing and they have engaged with your ad before. Mm. If you build, you build up that kind of audience, then it's a much warmer audience, much more conducive to clicking over to Amazon and then making that purchase. Now, on Amazon, of course, and this is why Amazon ads are so powerful, is people are looking for a book. That, that's why they're on Amazon in, in that part of the store. They're looking for a book. So if they want one of your books, Pat, then um, you want to make sure that uh, if they've typed your name into the search bar, you want to be absolutely sure that the results reflect the books that you're offering them. And what you don't want to find is that Gary uh, Vaynerchuk uh, pops up. Yeah, we don't want that someone guy else there. We, we don't want that guy. <laughs> I love you, we, don't, we don't want those guys popping up and, and sniping your readers uh, before they get the chance to, to buy your book. So, but that's the thing with Amazon. It is it's it's a much different um, experience because people are actually looking for the, for the books and and they can buy them with a couple of clicks after seeing your ad. So, different kinds of mindsets, um, different price considerations. Um, Facebook's targeting is incredible. Amazon's not quite so much. Um, but it's easier to get people to buy on Amazon than it is on Facebook. Swings and roundabouts, really. That's super helpful. Thank you for that. I'm on your uh, website, markjdawson.com right now. You have these just beautiful images. You were talking about the person who does your Photoshop and stuff, and it's really compelling. And it really highlights your books here. I see a John Milton series, Beatrix Rose series, Isabella Rose series, 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 and then you have like mm. one link for standalone books. Tell me the strategy behind series and what that's done for you as you've built your business yeah that's been a fundamental kind of a, a success point I, I guess and it's not one that i necessarily kind of uh engineered i think i lucked into it a bit but if you think about how you um how you consume books as a reader so who's your favorite fiction author pat Jeez, i want to say all of them uh <laughs> orwell orwell okay good one so let's say orwell was was writing today um and you read, um, this is why I'm going to show my terrible ignorance here. Let's say you read 1984. Okay. And you really enjoyed it. You got to the end of 1984 and you're thinking, no, I'd really like to read another book um, in that series. So let's just say he wrote 1985 after, after 1984. What we've got there is we call that read through or sell through. So if someone gets to the end of, of one of my books, for example, they get to the end of The Cleaner, which is the first Milton book. I know at that point that they are um, interested in in me as an author or my character or the way that I tell stories. So I can get them, I can do lots of things at that point. I can get them onto my mailing list, which is, you know, fairly standard internet marketing practice these days is to, is to build a list so that you can contact your customers directly. Um, I can also persuade them to go over to Amazon and buy the second book in the series. And you can start to see that um, if you, if you compare graphs over time, you can see it's like a wave. If you've sent lots of readers to the first book after a couple of weeks, which is about the time on average it would take to read that first book, you'll start to see readers go to the second book, not as many, probably about half. And then you'll start to see maybe 75% of those going to book three. Now, when you bear all that in mind, what it enables you to do is to make decisions on your advertising that will tell you how much you can afford to spend to get someone to buy book one. Ah. So, 
it took me a long while to realize this, but if, if book one is selling for two ninety nine at 70% on Amazon, I get, you know, one fifty one sixty in terms of a royalty. And for a long time, the longest time, I wouldn't spend more than that one sixty profit that I was making because I thought I would immediately be making a loss. Now, by, by doing that and not taking into account the subsequent books that a lot of those readers would then go on to buy, I was, I was switching off ads that were probably very profitable. Um, so that's something that um, I... I'm, I'm very aware of now, and it, and it is the reason why I write in series because it's so much more, um, it's so much easier to to sell series and to make a decent return on series because you will get readers just chewing through all of them. Um, and I still one of my favourite emails, I, and I get you know, quite a few of them, which is lovely. But readers, I'm um, saying. I read the cleaner three weeks ago. I've read all 16 books in the Milton series in the, in the, in the last three weeks. And I've never done that with an, another writer. That's incredibly flattering creatively. Cool. It, it's also, it's also cool from the business side, because I know that instead of the two ninety nine that they may have spent, they've probably spent 20 or 25 bucks on those books. And, and I'm getting 70% of that, which when you kind of aggregate it with thousands of readers, before you know it, you, you can have a fairly successful business. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I was also thinking about like Ernest Klein, author of Ready Player One. Oh, good one. And, yeah. and, and you had talked about like the other assets available, you know, that obviously turned into a movie and all this merchandise and all this other stuff. Really cool things happened as a result. But then like his next book came out called Armada and it was like in a different world, different setting. And it still did well because he did very popular, but it wasn't like you, you don't go from Ready Player One to Armada as easily as if it was Ready Player One to Ready Player Two or Ready exactly. Player Three. And so I'm like, yeah. oh, there should be a, I would, I'd be all over Ready Player Two if there existed something like that. But <laughs> Me too. Um, also, there was quite a long gap between those books. He, he wasn't, um, he's not prolific. Not that there's anything wrong with taking your time, um, but the way Amazon works, it does reward authors who are able to write, who are able to provide their readers with a, a reasonably fast um, uh, experience in terms of new content. Um, and I think with, with Klein, I think it was a, maybe a few years, I think between those books could mm -hmm. be wrong, but I have a feeling it was. So how long does it take you to write a new book? Well, the fastest, my best year. So 2014, I was, uh, I live in Salisbury in the UK, so not too far from Stonehenge. Um, and I was working in the film industry. So I was commuting to and from London, which is about 90 minutes on the train each way. I had two small kids. I had one kid when my wife was pregnant on maternity leave. And also yet yeah, adding into that, I was starting to get some success. So I started to, you know, get readers, I was buying the books, emailing me, telling me how much they liked it. And I, in that year, um, I wrote almost all on the train, um, maybe a little bit whilst I was at work. Don't don't tell my boss at the time. I'll get, I, I would have got in trouble. Um, I wrote about a million words in terms of published fiction. So around about, I don't know, I think I published six books that year, which was, I've never hit that again, even though I'm full time now. I've never got near that because I don't know, it's one of those things that you, the things you do kind of expand to fit the time you have to do them. Um, but I think last year I did, I, I wrote three or four books and this year um, I'm aiming to do four or five. So I can hit that reasonably comfortably, but you know, kind of that's, that's my thing. Um, I, I would do it anyway if I wasn't being paid for it. I just, I love writing. That's amazing. I, I really want to write a fiction book one day and it's just so inspiring. Do you as a fiction author, like dream about your characters? Do you like, how do you, yeah. you do, do yeah. you think about them all the time? Yeah, my my wife has a has a thing. When we started seeing each other, um, I was just kind of just starting to get back to writing again. She she used to say I had this kind of looking. I'd go into 
kind of a far away um, space where I wasn't really in in the room, um, and my eyes would glaze over, and she'd be like, "You're talking, you're thinking about your books again, aren't you?" And I'm like, "Yep, yeah, sorry, I am." Um, so yeah, I, that that happens. Um, I find um, I get loads of great ideas when I'm walking. So I have a dog, so we we walk in the countryside around here, and that's the best place I have for kind of. Um, riffing on ideas and solving plot problems also in the shower in the morning um, which just goes to show that your mind's never really shut off I'll I'll often have good ideas when I'm in the shower which must have been brewing whilst I was sleeping I guess you in that situation too yeah I mean in 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 for me I even have not written a fiction book yet yet I still can imagine characters and I'm thinking about storylines and 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 plots and things like that and and so i'm just curious i was just curious for a professional Mm -hmm. writer it it must be just exponentially much much more um and for me my best ideas come in in the car or on the walks on a run during a row or um definitely also on a commute yeah 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 exercise is great because it's it's kind of bringing it's a different part of your mind gets switched on i think it's kind of more meditative so Mm -hmm. running i i I feel the same way about running you just kind of doing something different you're not really thinking in any kind of focused way but you seem to be able to access parts of your brain where the good stuff brews Uh, and that's something i've definitely found how do you manage your fans obviously many of my listeners here know i've written about super fans and you've said yourself you've had people reach out to you and they're fans and tell me about your fans how are they great and how are they crazy they're almost all great actually i've had i've had a i mean the numbers game i've bound to have had a few slightly unusual fan interactions but generally speaking it's all fantastic and my when I, I'll give you a couple of examples of, of how things have changed o- over time. So when I was traditionally published, I'd never had an email from a reader or a letter, nothing, which was really disappointing because that was one of the things I thought would be fun would be to have a conversation with someone who read my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one time I went to a dinner party with a friend and she said, um, I've got something really cool for you, Mark. Just wait there. So she disappeared into another room, came back with this with one of my books. And she said, um, I was in a charity shop. Um, so of course my ego is immediately crushed. She says, I found this. Um, <laughs> it was, it was being sold for like one pound or something. Um, so she bought it, um, and she opened it up and inside was this uh, letter. The second book was called, it was called subpoena collada. Um, I, I was a lawyer. So it was kind of about, it was a satire about law, lots of legal stuff in there. And, um, this reader who obviously knew more about law than I did had uh, gone through the book and had corrected all of the things I'd got wrong. Wow. These days, um, she would have emailed me with that probably. And I would have been able to email back and say, thank you very much. You know, you are completely correct i'm a very bad lawyer and i appreciate the time and effort that you've put into this and i hope the things i got wrong didn't detract from your enjoyment and maybe she would have been a would have been or would have become a a, a big fan but i couldn't do that because there was no way to get in touch with her now scrolling forwards to how things are now i'm actually got on my desk right now a 20 dollar note and if i look over to my um shelves on the other side of the room i've got another three 20 dollar notes that i've framed and every Christmas for the last four years, uh, there's a guy called Bob Walsh who um, lives in Washington in the States, and he sent me he sends me Christmas cards. And the first one, I was kind of knocked for six when he sent it to me, but he, he said he, he hadn't been into reading or he'd kind of had a lapse from reading for 40 years. And he read one of my Milton books and that had revived his love of literature. And to thank me, he sent me a $20 bill and he asked me to go and buy a gin and tonic because he knows that's what I like to drink. 
and you know to as his way of thanking me which was I mean, incredible um and then he's done it for the next three years now I've, i haven't spent any of those as i say I've, I've framed them and the reason i've done that is in the moments where i'm not confident that my stuff is as good as it needs to be and like any other writer i have moments of doubt and thinking that i'm a fraud and i can't write and all of that kind of stuff i just need to look over at those framed 20s from bob and think i've actually had an effect on someone um and he enjoys my stuff enough to have found my address out and to have sent four Christmas cards from the States to the UK with 20 bucks in it. And maybe, maybe 20 bucks is a lot of money to him. I don't know, but it's, it's just, a, it's a really, um, it's a really lovely um, experience to have that. And, and it's, you know, I'm thankful to say, and very fortunate to be able to say that's not the only example of that kind of interaction that I've had with readers, which is all I ever really wanted. I mean, the money is nice, but to be able to um, provide someone with, a bit of escape is fun. You know, people have had um, readers in hospices who are, you know, at the last stages of their lives and they've found some some peace and some enjoyment from my stuff or from mm. readers like Bob who haven't read for ages. That, that's just, you can't really put a price on that. It's, it's, it's really nice. That's really amazing, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. How do, how do you communicate with your super fans um, now that we are in the sort of internet age? Um, what do you choose to use, if anything, for uh, just connecting in mass to your people so i'm kind of agnostic on um the platform i use to do it the philosophy is the same across all platforms so it is i respond to every single email and i respond as far as i can to every single um facebook message or comment and that might just be liking a, a comment that someone may have left or a reply but i try to at least let them know that i have noticed them um, and i appreciate the time they've spent in doing what they've done E emails I will always reply to because I think um, I remember when I was starting out, if my I used to love Brett Easton Ellis and um, Martin Amos over here in the UK. Mm. If if I'd written a letter to them and they'd replied to me, that would have made my year probably to be able to have that kind of correspondence with a writer that I admired. And so although I'm not comparing myself to either of those writers, it is possible that I can have that effect on readers too. And and, and then kind of going beyond that, um, and it's a bit more commercial, but it's, it's it's worth bearing in mind. If those readers then get know that I am responsive and I listen and I appreciate the time that they spend in communicating with me, there's a very good chance that they will then go and tell their friends, um, and and that cycle can begin again. So you know, word of mouth, it's it's the most powerful form of advertising. We can't manufacture it, but what we can do is encourage it, uh, and and that is how you do it. At least that's how I do it. So. I think just being there for readers and, and replying and, and um, being appreciative is, is, is really important. In terms of fiction specifically, have you ever had any readers or fans sort of try to, uh, you know, because I can imagine them getting really tied to the individual characters that you're writing about and access to the author to, you know, understand more about their favorite character or even help influence or determine, you know, what's going to happen next perhaps before the next book comes out. Has that, has that ever happened to you? Yeah, I get people, I mean, I've generally speaking, you know, thinking of you're kind of edging towards the Kathy Bates misery territory there with uh, super fans kind of uh, kidnapping the writer and forcing them to write in a, a certain way, um, which is that kind of thing that it's it never happened to me. Thank, thankfully. Yeah, we generally don't want speaking, that. We, I, my, I'm quite fond of my ankles. I don't want them broken any, anytime soon. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good. Um, they, the only kind of, I think the thing, it's not a, it's not an issue as such, but it's something I've become aware of is, is I find it quite hard to end books sometimes. And I think it's because um, I 
devour. I, I used to work in the film and TV industry and I've watched a lot of TV and a lot of film. And, and if you look at kind of um, binge TV these days, so Game of Thrones, things like that, they all the episodes end on a cliffhanger mm-hmm. because they want you to come back to the next the next show. And I think that has that has been something that's influenced me. And it is cliffhangers are very tricky because if you get someone uh, who's invested, say, 10 hours of their of their reading time, reading one of your books, and then you don't tie up all of the uh, the plot points at the end of the book, you're going to piss off some readers. It's just going to happen. Um, and on the other hand, um, they will all buy the next book, even though they told you that they won't. They will go <laughs> and buy it. So it's one of those things you, you kind of got to respect them. So in leaving really awful cliffhangers with, and I've done this before, actually, in one of my books, I left the, the heroine in a position of considerable danger. And I, I honestly, the response to that, I was the reviews were were really aggressively um, negative. So I, I generally get good reviews, but this one was getting one stars all the time. Um, mm. To the extent that I pulled the book down, re-edited it, and, and uploaded it again with a slightly different ending. Um, and wow. I still find myself kind of treading that quite carefully. The, the line between wanting to have something that's addictive and will lead people on to the next book, and also providing them with the closure that, that they need for the book that they've just read. So it, I, I'm still kind of working on getting better at that. That's that's not one of my strengths. Um, and, and occasionally they, they will write in and tell me that. For those of us listening who are in the middle of writing books or who are about to, and maybe we just keep putting it off and putting it off, and it's a scary thing to us, from a seasoned author like yourself, what are your best tips for us to just get writing and have that flow state that we need to, to crank these out? So the first thing is, the best advice is ask in chair, right? So you, you have to sit down and you have to write. But and then kind of going beyond that, um, it is, if you look at something, and I remember this from the first time I, I wrote, finished a novel, I, I tried to finish lots and never got there. Because it gets to a point where you can be a little bit daunted by the fact that, you know, it's 100,000 words, how am I ever going to get there? And if you break it down a bit, um, you know, I, I can probably I think today I did about 4000 words, which is a good is a good day for me. Normally I hit about 2000. But if you break it down, so maybe you've got a full time job. Right. So or you've got two kids or you've got three kids and you, time is precious. If you maybe can carve out 10 or 15 minutes in your day, maybe half an hour or you know, perhaps you commute on the train, maybe you get an hour. If you can spend that time writing. Maybe you can do 500 words in the time that you have, which is or even 100 words. If you aggregate that over time, over the course of a year, by the end of the year, you will have enough words to have at least a first draft of a novel that you can then go forwards with. So I think it's getting into that habit of, of actually getting your fingers on the keyboard and and uh, just telling a little bit more of the story, just working out where you want to go. Um it's there's nothing wrong with with getting lost. Um, so there's nothing wrong in in um, writing yourself into a corner and then having to reverse back and go in a different direction because every word that you write is making you better as a writer technically and it's also teaching you to avoid those mistakes in the future. So it is you know and also you have to love it. If you don't love writing fiction, it's probably not the thing that you would that you have been put here to do. Mm. Um, but if if you do enjoy it, you know, if you get a buzz, if you, you know, if you find yourself thinking about fiction ideas when you, you think you should be thinking about something else, then, you know, maybe that's a, that's a itch that you need to scratch um, and just sit down, you know, when you can get some words down um, and then do the next, do, do, do it again the next day um, and then repeat. And my final question for you, and thank you for this, Mark, this has been incredibly inspiring and, and, and very helpful uh, for myself and I know everybody else listening. Um, when writing anything really nonfiction or fiction. But, you know, for me, I'm thinking about myself selfishly here when I had once 
tried to sit down and write a fiction thing. Uh, just, I would write something based on an idea I had, and then I would look at it again. And what I thought this was a great idea, I'd go, that's that's dumb. That's not going to work. And then I just kept going back to the drawing board and trying something again that I thought was a good idea. And then I'd see it. And then I'd be like, no, nobody's going to like that. And I kept fighting these demons in my head that what I was writing just wasn't good. And how do you commit to something when we're so, how do you commit to the words that you write when we're so easily dissuaded by those voices in our head that something's not good? Well, what you just described there is every single writer in the world ever. So I get that. Uh, imposter syndrome, you know, you kind of, I might be reading something um, that I love and I'll then come back to my stuff and I'm like, geez, I can't, I just don't, I, I'm not as good as that guy. Um, and it's, it's, it's insidious and it can get in your head. And if you let it, you know, you will, um, you'll find an excuse to, to stop. Um, and then maybe you won't write for six months and then you try again and the same thing happens. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing you have to do is you just got to block it out, right? You are the worst person to judge how good your writing is or how good your ideas are. You are, you, you could not be, you could not find a worse judge of the quality of a story, um, than, than the writer. Um, <laughs> you need to, you need to push on. You got to, you know, just maybe, maybe just finish a short story, you know, if, if maybe take something from, from the idea that you have, um, split it off, write a short story, which of course you, you could then use as, you know, again, to use another internet marketing term, you could use as a lead magnet, um, in ads to, to start to build your audience, a fiction audience. But once you've done that and you, you start to get, um, readers and, and a key thing here is readers who are not related to you. Um, so you could give your book to your wife and she might say, I love this, Pat. It's amazing. She wouldn't say that. In no, I'm ba- just kidding. She would. She would. <laughs> In the back of your head, if she did say that, you'll be thinking, yeah, you, of course you're saying that because you're my wife. Um, I, I had that for a long time. I, I couldn't find um, any judge that I thought, you know, friends were the same. You know, they, they're saying that because they want to flatter my ego. Eventually, you have to put your big boy pants on and just put it in the world. And then Amazon's pretty good for that. It's very democratic. The book goes out there. Um, you'll get reviews from people who've never heard of you before. And I remember very, very, very vividly the first five-star review I had. Uh, I remember the first person joining my mailing list who was not related to me. Um, and it is an amazing feeling because someone that you have no connection with, um, you don't know who they are, you don't know anything about their life, you have something in common that, that you've written something and they've read it and, and they enjoyed it. They got something out of that experience enough to have, to have reviewed it or joined your list or whatever it was. And if you get enough of those kind of affirmations, um, before you know it, you feel a bit more confident about your, your writing. And, and, you know, I don't get that too much these days. Now and again, I do, but when I do, I can kind of, you know, look over those, that, that $60 in, in the frame on the wall over there and, and mm. kind of think, yeah, I, I can, I've got this, I can do this. Um, and that's just a lot of practice, but everyone gets that, but you can get over it. Thank you for that, Mark. Uh, where can people go to learn more about you? Where should they, where should they follow up? Well, I'm, I'm very I'm selfishly going to give you two websites. Um, so if people are interested in reading my fiction, uh, if you like um, kind of uh, addictive, compulsive um, uh, books, thrillers, you can go to markjdawson.com and I have two free books that you can, um, you can grab if you want to test me out um, by signing up to my mailing list. 
if you're a writer and it's nonfiction or fiction, we, we kind of cater to both. Um, I have some uh, courses on um, how to self-publish and then how to use ads to help you to self-publish and some more stuff coming down the down the tube as well. And that is at selfpublishingformula.com. And we have a podcast on Friday as well, which is not anywhere near as good as yours, Pat, but you know, we, we have fun doing it. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good laugh. So yes, that, that's, those are the two places I'd recommend people uh, check us out. Awesome, Mark. You're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and spending time with us today and uh, all the best on your next books. It's a real pleasure to be here, Pat. Thanks very much. Wow. Just wow. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. I know you listened to the show. I'm thankful to have featured you here on the show today. And I hope that this is inspiring to others, those of you listening, as it is inspiring to me. Two resources for you, markjdawson.com and selfpublishingformula.com. As you can tell, Mark's the real deal. He goes through the same sort of struggles and I think his advice is just spot on and I'm definitely gonna take that with me moving forward and I hope you do as well. If you'd like to get the links in a much easier fashion and also check out some of the other resources mentioned here in this episode, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 413. Smartpassiveincome.com slash session 413 and you can check all those things out there thanks in advance for those of you who are going to leave a review after this uh, i just appreciate you so much that helps energize me to keep going and it helps other people who are not quite sure what to expect when they listen to the show that yeah this is legit and i hope that you feel this is legit too i appreciate you so much and uh just want to say make sure you hit subscribe because we've got a lot of great stuff coming your way i cannot wait to hear what you think about the upcoming episodes on the docket and i'm not even going to spoil it for you because it's going to be a surprise so make sure you hit subscribe and i look forward to serving you next week new episodes coming out every single wednesday we've just that's how it's been and i'm looking forward to serving you next week and uh, you can dive into the archives if you're hungry for more already cheers thanks so much and as always team flynn you're amazing hashtag team flynn for the win peace Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.